I'm just gonna, you know, get drunk, maybe get laid, <laughs> or get into fight. No, I'm serious, man. We should be up for anything. I know we are, but what? I mean, God, don't you ever feel like everything we do and everything we've been taught is just to service the future? Yeah, I know. It's like it's all preparation. Right, but what are we preparing ourselves for? Death, life of the party. It's true. You know, but that's valid. Because if we're all gonna die anyway, shouldn't we be enjoying ourselves now? You know, I'd like to quit thinking of the present, like right now, as some minor insignificant preamble to something else. Exactly, man. That's what everybody in this car needs. It's some good old worthwhile visceral experience. What you are about to hear is a labor of love. Our love is for the music, and the music is for the people. We at Rockstrikes 10 and cnjradio.com have always recommended that any music we promote on our shows be legally purchased, downloaded, and or streamed. We feel this way not only for our network of shows, but for all music-based shows. By supporting the artist in this way, more music can be created and the industry as a whole can prosper. The music is owned by their respective labels, or hopefully by the artists themselves. This broadcast is owned by cnjradio.com. Our only mission is to promote the music we love and promote the legal purchase of it. Enjoy the show and turn it up. Welcome to Rock Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, especially if you're doing it at the central station of cnjradio.com. Okay, it is now time for part five of the top 60 albums of 1993 countdown here on Rock Strikes 10. A scientific ranking of the albums from that year done exclusively by myself as a solo project, myself here, Joey. So with the one-man show that I am, I gotta say, this has happened every single time I've done one of these yearly retrospective countdowns. Now, that's not me saying that I'm not proud of these countdowns, because I'm very much proud of the time I've given this and everything, but with the one-man show comes mistakes, (laughs) So before I get into a whole thing, because I know that the next part's going to be long enough, I don't have any kind of specific apologies to be given out here, but I can say with every year that I've done this, I've missed some stuff. So that being said, I do have plans at some point to right some of those wrongs and maybe have a spotlight episode or two where I talk about some of the albums I missed because I want these to be complete retrospectives, but it'll be nice to have a little bit of an asterisk on some of these, because some of these things I've missed for one reason or another, just embarrassing details. But let's get into the music here. I'm bogging down early on the show. The music's really going to help bring this show back up to the, the greatness that it deserves to be. So yes, number 20 here. We're breaking into the top 20 here on the top 60 of 93 with a local favorite. I didn't want to preamble that with saying, here's an album that you may not have ever heard of, because that sounds really snobby. And you probably haven't heard of this record. But once again, that's not me trying to be snobby. It just means you probably don't live where I live. 
or you're just maybe not so completely obsessive about one specific genre to know about this person. I alluded to this person during the Odds and Ends episodes where I played that C.C. DeVille, Hank Williams cover of Hey Good Looking from Son-in-Law. This album actually ties into that because this band basically rose out of the ashes of the aborted C.C. DeVille Hollywood Records band project, and that would be Joey C. Jones and the Glory Hounds. I remember when this album came out because we still had two good rock stations in Dallas-Fort Worth actively playing and breaking bands for me and anybody who cared to listen, whether it be on the Eagle, which wound up becoming really terrible after the 90s, or the great Z-Rock, which was locally based at this point through Dallas. And so I, I knew about this Joey C. Jones and the Glory Hounds record when it came out. And I remember going, man, that song they're pushing from it is really good and really catchy. And even at that age, I remember going, man, this album probably doesn't stand a chance in the current musical climate. And in a way, I was right. It was a local favorite and it did well here, but unfortunately did not break out into the rest of the world. But the music lives on through shows like this and anybody else that knew Joey and his music. Unfortunately, Joey passed away just a little under two years ago. So fuck cancer. And I'm kind of surprised this record isn't a little higher here on the countdown because I, I constantly ran into Joey at different shows. I ran into Joey at shows that he wasn't even booked at and shows that he was booked at. So I've seen Joey live a bunch of times, uh, also with different bands over the years. I ran into him at the wrestling shows quite a few times because he was even a heel manager at one point. He was good at it. So Joey was a man of many talents and he is missed by this community and I would like to bring you his music through my show and get it throughout the supposed potential 100 countries that are actually listening. And that's a stat that the web host recently hipped me to. So I don't know if that's true. I did a cheeky post a few days ago where I'm like, thank you, bots, but also thank you, real people who listen to this show. But let's get back to the original main idea here. So coming in at number 20 is Joey C. Jones and the Glory Hounds with their self-titled debut and maybe a reason why this album is number 20 as opposed to 18 or 17 here on the countdown is because you really can't kick off a show better than this. Here is Hello.
kicking off the show here today, breaking us into the top 20 as well, and really just setting a tone for one of the great show openers of all time right there, and album openers. That was Joey C. Jones and the Glory Hounds with Hello from that self-titled debut. Go check out that record. It is on Spotify, and that's going to be the easiest way you can get it. Used to be really cheap, you know, out and about on the Ebays of the world and everything. With Joey's passing, the prices have kind of risen. But it's out there for you to enjoy at least, and I do recommend that. Very much a talented frontman. Overall good guy to his fans, as far as I could tell. And I gotta say, every time I hear that song, there's a moment about halfway through Hello where I go, man, in an alternate universe somewhere after Jack Russell and the rest of Great White fell out with each other, I feel like Joey would have been a perfect fit vocally and stylistically for that band. I don't know if he'd have taken the gig, but I do hear it. You can hear a little bit of that Jack Russell tone in there, can't you? But anyway, yeah, sticking with another band I definitely heard on Z-Rock a lot at the time. Number 19 belongs to the great Saigon Kick and their third record and their quote-unquote artistic departure album, Water. By a lot of the things going on with the band, by default this was going to be a departure in a sense. Uh, Matt Kramer out as lead vocalist and easily replaced by Jason Beeler. Probably one of the smoothest transitions of all time in any band because Jason, of course, already in the band, already doing background vocals, a great singer in his own right. And I guess much like I talked about with All earlier in the countdown, that band All, like the replacement vocalist just a little bit better than the original lead singer. That's no shade on the original guy. My ears just slightly prefer Jason Beeler as a singer. And of course, to this day, Jason putting out quality stuff, so that helps. But I've always been a big fan of this album, Water. I will confess two different things. Number one, the first time I owned this record was a cassette that I think I got for like $2 probably on clearance at a real store. And number two, I'm pretty sure this is physically the first time I ever owned the song Space Oddity. So there you have it. Big soft spot for water. I love all the stylistic departures. I can kind of see why in retrospect why it failed in certain aspects, but man, it's a shame that radio didn't have the balls to stay loyal to Saigon Kick after the amount of spins that Love is on the Way garnered. And there's songs on here that could have potentially had that same kind of spot, but C'est La Vie. I still think Water is great. I was super happy to pay full price for a vinyl copy of this upon its limited repressing this year, so happy about that. Full circle. And yes, it's still an enjoyable listen to this day, in my opinion. So let's get a little weird, huh? I told you about how much of a stylistic departure this album is in a certain way. And that point is put very forward by this track right here that I'm going to spotlight. A very much disco-tinged song right here called On and On. Check it out.
A lot of song title remains the same candidates on this record water right here. Even that track there, I'm sure you were expecting down in Jamaica, you know, or something like that. No, you don't get that. There's a song on water called When You Were Mine. So I expected it to be a Prince cover. It was not. But yeah, we'll save those for episodes like that. But coming in at number 19 right there, the Jason Beeler-led Saigon Kick. Self-produced by Jason, by the way. And that was the Water record, and that song was called On and On. I will say that song is not indicative of the entire album. There are some metal jams on there that you would expect from Saigon Kick, like the opener, One Step Closer, which is a very strategic opening track to get you to not panic too much. And some other rock songs on there. Some very Beatles-inspired songs as well. So it's a mishmash, and that's why I love it so much. Like this band over here, I wouldn't even say that their third album, which is another third album coming up here at number 18, I would not say it's a stylistic departure because this band was always a hybrid act. They always incorporated many influences, not just because of their culture, just because they're just a great band. And in 1993, they put out their third album called Stain, talking about the great Living Color. Now, some of you people might be like, damn, I can't believe that's not in your top 10. Well, I can't either, but that's just the way it goes. Uh, pretty much any of these albums from 20 to 11 probably could have made it and have made it into the top 10 at some point while I've been ranking these. So it's tough. This is a hard one, like I said. But I do love me some Stain. Very cool record. It's definitely a heavier album. It's definitely a more metal album than even their previous two albums. Maybe even a little less variety than they normally do on Stain. And kind of judging the book by its cover, maybe it's that fair warning thing where we're like, oh, that's the heaviest album they've done. Maybe it's because of the cover, but there was a lot of shit going on that they wanted to talk about, as always. And I definitely got a little more sense of bitterness on this album, but I still like it quite a bit. And it still stings not being able to see him this year when we had tickets to go see him in Denver and the show was canceled. Because I had heard rumblings that they were going to play some Stain songs in the set. So I was like, man, I feel like when I go see them, because they're coming to town actually with Extreme next year. But I fear that there's not going to be a lot of Stain songs in the set. But I hope they can prove me wrong. Because like I said, I like Stain quite a bit. Could have easily gone with the launch single, Leave It Alone, which is still a great song. And stuff like Go Away, Bye. Which, speaking of that canceled concert, I got to quote my buddy LC from Cobras and Fire. He nailed it. He's like, buy is the better version of Glamour Boys. Because yes, I 1000% agree with that statement. Uh, but yes, let's go with this one right here. Nice little timestamp. Uh, this song is strictly pretty much, I mean, it's about an overall thing, but also uh, the specific event, I'm sure, garnered its existence. Uh, this is definitely an anti-police brutality song. So what else can be said living color will tell you the rest of it here is this little pig 56 times in 81 seconds something like this
whenever Living Color get on a massive tear like that, stylistically, where they go into their hardcore punk stance with the metal leanings, inevitably my brain will think of Bad Brains. And it's interesting. I never knew before I was doing the research for this show that Ron St. Germain was a producer on Stain. And Ron had produced two Bad Brains records. So there you have it. Yeah. Or at least he had a hand in producing and mixing two different Bad Brains records. Because Eye Against Eye was one of the albums he's credited on. But I know Rick Ocasek produced that album. So I'm assuming he mixed it. But you, you see what I'm saying. He was involved in two different Bad Brains records. So there you have it. Speaking of bands going a little heavier. This band coming in here at number 17 went way heavier in 1993. Definitely a creative comeback for this band. And here's the deal. I was in junior high at this time, and I was well-versed in school band. And I was even late to that because in seventh grade, I was not in band when I joined junior high. And I joined band so I would stop getting beat up. There you have it. I was bullied a lot in junior high. Junior high was pretty terrible. But I wound up playing drums in junior high, so I got into a bubble of activity and continued that through high school. And the people that I knew through junior high and high school in band, and if you played drums, it was like required that you were into two different bands in the 90s. That would be Rush, which was the obvious band, and Dream Theater, who were coming up at that point. So, yeah, when Rush came out with Counterparts in 1993, we were all like, thank God they are playing heavy music for the first time in a long time. I, I won't even say a long time, Counterparts is like the heaviest Rush album at this point in 1993. I think the heaviness definitely helped them upgrade their status in my eyes at this point, and as well as probably a lot of fans in 93. But through whatever means, Rush coming in here at number 17 on the countdown here with Counterparts. And I didn't know this before either, because at the time when this album came out, I didn't really care about who the producer was and all this stuff. But I saw Peter Collins' name as the producer when I listened to it this latest time. And I was like, that's brilliant because Peter Collins produced Hey Stupid by Alice Cooper a few years before this. So that makes sense because that album sounds great. This album sounds great. So good stuff right there. And, 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 you know, prior to Counterparts, I could find good songs on the two or three albums that preceded this, like Roll the Bones and Presto and stuff like that. But overall, top to bottom, I don't think that they are great albums or at least pretty good to great. And Counterparts definitely fits the bill for this kind of a statement. And after all these years, it still holds up, in my opinion. So this is kind of like what happened when Bruce Dickinson rejoined Maiden in 2000. The band kind of became this thing stylistically for the rest of their career. And I feel like Counterparts definitely kicked off the last era of Rush's style. Definitely a lot heavier, still proggy, still has that rush feel to it. It's just a little bit different and a little bit more one thing than it used to be. There you have it. For better or worse, I do like Counterparts for that reason. But just in case you missed this one when it came out, this was the launch single for the album. And this really put forward like, hey, we are here, man. And we are not what you think we are. So let's just use this as the example. This is Stick It Out. Try 
thoughts to your instinct If it's safely restrained Lightning reactions Must be carefully trained Heat of the moment Curse of the young Spit out your anger Don't swallow your tongue
right, yes. What a sonic kick in the ass right there by probably the greatest band to ever come out of Canada. Can we just safely say that? That it is Rush, the kings of Canada right there? I don't think if you live there or even if you don't live there, I don't know if that point could really be argued. It's Rush and then there's everybody else, right? And that's all due respect to April Wine and Danko Jones and Loverboy. They would probably tell you the same thing. I feel like they would. Canada, they're nice enough people. I think they would make that consensus. Okay. But yes, Rush coming in at number 17 with the Counterparts record. And that was Stick It Out, the single release. There's some great deep cuts on that record. Go listen to it if you never have. Or if you haven't heard it in 30 years, do yourself a favor. Go revisit it. Talking about Peter Collins having such a great ear and a great choice for a producer that followed through with Rush on Counterparts. Here's another guy with an amazing, I'm talking Hall of Fame set of ears. Andy Wallace, you know that name. A good amount of your catalog has Andy Wallace's name on it. Probably mostly as a mixer or an engineer, probably mostly a mixer. He's more known as a mixer than a producer. But his name is all over your record catalog for sure. And he's on this record right here. What a sound on this record. The best sounding album by this band. And my overall favorite album by this record. I think that's safe to say. While the album that preceded this, I think is really, really good. I would say this is their best album. So coming in at number 16 right here, the Andy Wallace produced Chaos AD by Brazilian metal legends, Sepultura. Yes, Chaos AD. I have often used Sepultura as my taste bar as far as this is the highest I go on my heavy metal as far as the heaviest band that I will actively buy and listen to. You've run into another band like this on the countdown so far, and that would be Entombed. So in case I needed to remind you, my bar of heaviness is Entombed and Sepultura, and that was in peak mode here in 1993. So if you've never given Sepultura that album chance, you should definitely do Arise, and you should definitely, definitely do Chaos AD. It's got so much going for it. It's a sonic overload, and... Something Sepultura did not do early on in their career, but they did do at this point during their career, is really embrace their culture. And that's important because you're in this kind of a genre, you need to stick out and identify yourself just a bit more than the average band. Unless you've got the songs to really back that up, then you needed a a hook. And Sepultura, being from Brazil, and finally really overtly incorporating that heavy percussion Brazilian sound right there. And a lot of extra percussion is used on this album. There's outtakes now. Between this and Roots, they really went hard with it. And I think that was a good thing for them. Of course, the entire album isn't bathed in that. You can hear a lot of their hardcore punk influences still, which is great. I really, really love Biotech as Godzilla. Like, I was so tempted to use that as the example. But it's it's such a novelty song for the rest of the record. I was like, ah, I'm probably not doing it any favors by playing that, but I love that song so much. So kind of like I did here with Rush, let's go with one of the singles off of it, and it really does drive the point home that this band has ascended an extra level stylistically and creatively. So here is Sepultura from KSAD. This is Refuse Resist.
Tour right there with Refuse, Resist. I'm compelled to say it that way. Much like when you go Slayer, and Slayer also in that barometer of how heavy I go. But yes, Refuse, Resist from Chaos AD. Man, there's so many good songs on this. There's a killer song on there called Amen about the whole David Koresh thing. Like, it's it's a cool freaking metal record. Go listen to it if you never have. One of the better albums to be released under the Roadrunners record banner. And I mentioned that because the next act is also on Roadrunner Records. So Roadrunner having a peak year for me here in 1993. But despite the fact that they are a predominant metal label, I think they're 100% metal. I, I don't recall anybody really not being metal on Roadrunner Records. That'd be weird. But a completely different type of metal emerging out of here on Roadrunner in 93 with Typo Negative. And their second full-length studio album, called Bloody Kisses, from a technical standpoint, as far as recording goes, it's their third studio album, but let's go ahead and say this is their sophomore album, which puts them in a, the sophomore album is better category, which is a rare thing to pull off, but Typo Negative definitely did that, way outdoing their debut, in my opinion. I'm not a big fan of the debut, but... This is a time where me and the rest of the country were like, oh, wow, who's this wacky-ass band they're playing on the radio now? I was aware of bands like Sisters of Mercy and other quote-unquote goth bands at this point. So to hear like a metal band embracing this style, I thought, man, what a cool idea. Everybody responded to this. This is one of those male-female kind of things. Like men and women both like typo, and that was so weird to see in heavy metal. But that's another thing that makes it great. It's such a long-ass album, and there's a bit of filler, for sure. I mean, even some of the big hits off of here, they're the longest songs on the record. So everything that's exactly wrong about what you do to get noticed and get hits and sell records, Typo Negative did it, but they somehow managed to pull it off. Very, very wabasabi of them. And done with that sense of humor. I gotta say, if that sense of humor was not in effect for this band lyrically, then I don't think they would have made it. That was the real last ingredient to be like, this band is unlike any other band that's ever existed. So hats off to Typo Negative. I don't think at this point still in the overall grand scheme of things that they are appreciated for truly how original they were. So yeah, there you go. That's as much as I could put a band over, I think. So back to the music. Talking about Bloody Kisses, the album that comes in at number 15 here on the countdown. I'm going to do something that I rarely do. And since I'm such a fan of the album... And I know you've definitely heard Christian Woman. And I've even played a live version of it on my show before. And you you know Black Number One, I'm sure, as well. You may know this one. This is probably the third most popular song on the album. But I'd like to use this as a representative because it's very indicative of their style. They did multiple covers over their career. And anytime they did a cover, they definitely made it their own. And this is an example of just how different they were. Much like the Melvins before them. They would take a song and definitely put it in the ears of people that had never heard the original. Probably a good amount of the fan base had never heard this, and I was one of them. So there you have it. Here is Typo Negative doing their interpretation of the Seals and Crofts classic Summer Breeze. Enjoy.
Okay, yeah, that's the best I can do on the fader right there because it goes right into the next song while they're still ending that song. So best I can do. But there you have it. Typo Negative doing Summer Breeze, which if you didn't know the original before that, between this and I think it was, what, Volume 2? Even more Dazed and Confused. I remember when that came out. Of course, the original soundtrack rules. You might have even heard a clip of Days Confused at the top of the show. In case you were somehow curious where that sound clip came from, I usually don't tell you what it is, but hey, why not? Nice tie-in there. A little Days of Confused tie-in via typo negative. That's kind of weird, but that's just how it is here on Rock Strikes 10. The other thing I should have really mentioned when I was talking about how original typo was at this point is the fact that not only did they do all of that, but... The album Bloody Kisses was self-produced, so it wasn't like anything that a producer helped create the sound and take credit for later on. No, that was all 100% them, self-produced. Another band that's definitely DIY like that was the next band, because this next album happens to be self-produced as well. That's the best tie-in I can give you right there. But coming from 15 to 14 right here is the now-vetted Bad Religion this point with their seventh studio album here in 1993 called recipe for hate and the thing that i took away from this record and i had heard the song american jesus uh, since its existence and that's probably one of the songs that really got me to notice bad religion and that was probably also due to the fact that they were moving over to atlantic records off of epitaph and so more people were going to know about this band me being one of them but my biggest takeaway from listening to Recipe for Hate this time around was, I guess I've always known in the back of my mind, especially now that I've gotten older, but at the time, being like a preteen and teenager throughout the 90s, I never realized how divided the country was. I just assumed that the country really hardcore got divided after 9-11, and that's probably also true, but I didn't really see just how much of a divide that had been created already through politics and religion and all that kind of bullshit. Because in the early 90s, to me, and it started in the mid to late 80s, of course, I was starting to notice like the Jim Bakers of the world and later on the Robert Tilton's, my would-be dad, and stuff like that. But those people, I always just assumed were so absurd and so comical and just characters that... I didn't think anybody really paid them much mind. I just thought that they were there because they had some sort of, you know, licensing agreement to be on cable as equal speech or something. I don't know, but they just always seemed so absurd to me. And I never realized that people took them seriously, but I guess it was just always there. The divide was always there and you just don't realize it till you get older. So that's long story long for me. But that was my big takeaway on Recipe for Hate is like, man, there's a lot of division in this world and it sucks. But at least we have good art surrounding it to make it a little bit easier on us and even though art usually tends to be a lot of escapism even when you're talking about it i feel like bad religion did it in an entertaining enough way and the music of course the powerful music they put forward always helped but eh, there you have it but i said all that to say yes bad religion recipe for hate is my 14th favorite album of 1993 i am not going to play american jesus even after all that big build-up I wanted to go with a favorite album track of mine because it's always been my personal favorite off the record. So, to represent Recipe for Hate, this is Portrait of Authority.
You hear that right there, that that great dual harmony, that unmistakable bad religion vocal style right there started all the way back 10 years ago. If you remember earlier on our 1983 countdown, that sophomore proggy kind of spacey hard rock album, Into the Unknown, birthed the bad religion two-part harmony. So that album did well in 83. And then, of course, 10 years later in the timeline, bad religion still on the charts here on Rock Strikes 10. So that definitely makes them a predominant favorite here on the show. We're going back to Canada here for the next album. This band also on their seventh album, much like Bad Religion. And that would be a band that I've been really enjoying doing these yearly deep dives and have always performed well. This is kind of a new favorite band of mine by doing this, even though I was aware of them always. I've always seen their name. I'm sure I've said this already a couple of times in these timelines, but I've been very impressed by this band's catalog. So yeah, another big favorite here now on Rock Strikes 10 is Voivod. So their seventh album here called The Outer Limits. I've always enjoyed the album cover and I never realized they did like a cool, like kind of 3D-ish thing for it with a little extra color layer on it. But yeah, I appreciate those things. But Outer Limits, another enjoyable outing by Voivod for me. I don't know, maybe it's just that new car smell and it's a band that I'm enjoying that I haven't heard over and over again for the last few decades. But even a song on this album like Jack Luminous, which is a long freaking song. It's stupid long. I think it's like a fourth of the album length. (laughs) 
and there's still nine songs on this record total. But even a song like that, I felt like it wasn't too bad. Like, I was like, I don't even think I scored it negatively. So, yeah, I'm just enjoying this band. So come along with me. If you've never gotten into Voivod in your life and you love your hard rock and heavy metal with a little bit of punk leaning, then get into Voivod. You're, you're missing out if you don't. So here's a song to maybe help you along in getting into them. From The Outer Limits, this is The Lost Machine. Enjoy.
Voivod right there with a really killer hybrid original heavy sound right there from The Outer Limits. That was The Lost Machine. Hope you enjoyed that. And we move over to something completely different. We're going to track not too far away from Canada over to Brooklyn, New York with this band right here in their debut album. And I'm so glad I don't have to backtrack now. I just hit upon the debut album by this band. I saw their name on one of the lists and I'm like, you know, I've heard that name a handful of times. And I know they've been on comps and stuff like that, but I've never listened to this band or at least not actively. But man, have I been missing out for the last 30 years, apparently, because the debut album here by the New Bomb Turks. Big fan of this record. Excited to hear about what they're going to do throughout the rest of their career here. But yes, if you like me, like the, I, someone coined this for me earlier this year, Action Rock, which is basically like garage punk, but also hard rock and just four on the floor type stuff, hot rod music, whatever you want to call it. New Bomb Turks have this type of style covered in spades. And this debut album right here called Destroy Oh Boy. Just a fun listen. It sounds like they made it on the cheap, but that's what great punk rock albums are made of. Lower than average budget. But if you're a fan of the Hives and bands of the like, a lot of bands that come out of Sweden and stuff like that, I got a feeling that maybe the Helicopters and the Hives and bands like that may have heard this band and may have been influenced by them. That's a guess. You know, between bands like this and Nation of Ulysses, like bands coming out of America in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. So maybe there's something to it. Maybe we created the Swedish garage punk style. I'm, I'm assuming that might be the case. I don't know. I don't want to take credit for it. I definitely had nothing to do with it. But New Bomb Turks definitely making the scene in 93. After just a couple of singles and an EP, they come out with this killer half hour, all killer kind of no filler kind of record. So get on this if you've never heard it. It's one of those I could play anything off of it. But this is my current favorite one right here in the tradition of my generation doing a little bit of the stutter vocal. This is New Bomb Turks with Drag Strip Riot.
Coming in at number 12 here on the top 60 albums of 1993 countdown, that was the new Bomb Turks, and that was Drag Strip Riot off of their debut album, Destroy Oh Boy. Go check it out. It's killer, killer stuff. If you like that song at all, then you're going to love the record. Okay, number 11 right here. I'm actually surprised this album didn't make the top 10. I had envisioned early on that it would, but it just, just missed it. Missed it by a hair, obviously. And I've talked about some bands that have come out of the ashes of different bands that are kind of happening around here in 1993. And this is one of those bands out of the ashes of The Replacements. Come Bash and Pop, the Tommy Stinson-led Bash and Pop, going from bass to sixth string here with this band becoming the leader. And i got to be honest, I love me some Paul Westerberg. Love the replacements, of course, but I guess if I'm taking sides here, just going by my taste, Paul definitely put out an album in 93, but it did not make my countdown, and this one did. So I guess I'm on Team Tommy here. Hate to be tribalistic, but... The fact that Paul missed the countdown and Tommy did so well here. It was like, good for you, man. Bash and Pop is a really cool band. Definitely, like the name almost suggests, it's got that replacements feel to it, but it's just a little bit poppier and a little more song-based, which is also what Paul was going for, to be honest, when he went solo as well. But yeah, Tommy, good singing voice. It's just uh, all the ingredients of an album that I like. And this is also just one of those fluke albums where... I recommended it to my better half, Nola, and she became a big fan of him later on, too. Fast forward to a few years later, we actually got to go see him on their reunion, 2016, and got to see him live. So that was that was a great moment. And this goes back to the first time I played Bash and Pop on my show was when I did the One and Done theme, which was the best bands that only put out one album. I'm going to have to rectify that because at this point they have two albums out. I hope they're not going to be a two and through band at this point. I, I would love more bash and pop material. I'd love to have them come out and play again, but who knows? You never know with a guy like Tommy Stinson. He's decently unpredictable. Of course, I want you to check this record out. The name of this debut album, by the way, is called Friday Night is Killing Me. And here's a standout track for me. Hope you like it. This is Bash and Pop with Loose Ends.
Closing off the show here today and coming at number 11 here on the top 60 albums of 1993 Countdown. That was the debut album by Bash and Pop called Friday Night is Killing Me. I wanted to have you judge that song in its own merit and not give you any kind of leg up in your potential enjoyment. But I will say, if memory serves me correct, a couple of Heartbreakers play on that album as well. They punch their stuff in, I think, after the initial recordings. But if my memory serves me correct... Ben Montench and Mike Campbell of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers both play on that record as well. So coming in there, pinching a little bit and just spicing up the record just a little bit extra makes it another part of the overall winning formula of that Bash and Pop record right there. So hope you enjoyed that. Hope you're enjoying this countdown, this whole 93 thing. Of course, we'll be back with the Big Daddy, the Top 10, the Bob's Big Boy. It's going to be a show and a half. And if you remember the 1983 Top 10, may have the same special guest coming in for the halftime show. So there's a tease for you. But until then, stay tuned for my better half, Nola, with the plugs, and followed by the best damn outro song in all the podcasting business. Take it away, Nola. We would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to the show today. You can reach us on Facebook or Twitter. We love getting messages and always do our best to respond. Every time you share our show, we give our cats Ruby and Ripley a treat. We are on Twitter at RockStrikes10, and the direct email is RockStrikes10 at gmail.com. When you search for us, the number 10 is always spelled out. If you would like to support our show financially, we do have RockStrikes10 shirts for sale. For $20, we will ship you out a high-quality, soft-as-heck, next-level branded shirt and a button. Send us an email or direct message for more details or to order. 
Please help us spread the word about this show and all of our other quality shows by listening, liking, subscribing, and sharing. Our official website is cnjradio.com. You can visit this site for all episodes of Rock Strikes 10 going all the way back to episode number one. While you're on cnjradio.com, check out some of these other quality shows. The Wrestling House Show, a pro wrestling podcast unlike any other. The Synaptic Empire Audio Transmissions, hosted by Randy Brown, a true alternative. The Last Theater, starring Chris, where cinema's trash is treated like treasure. And the I Am Vinyl Podcast with Pete LaRussa and occasionally Joey. We also highly recommend that you check out our good friend Mark Striegel, who can now be heard exclusively on Sirius XM as part of Ozzy's Boneyard and Hair Nation. Last, but certainly not least, we would like to give an extra special thanks to the great Pete LaRussa and the band Spacebeard for the best outro song in the business. Go to facebook.com slash spacebeardband to purchase their music and make sure to tell them that Rock Strikes 10 sent ya. We hope you tune into the next show. Until then, have fun. Game show is brought to you by Christ. I can't find it. The hell with it.